Hello, my name is Russell Palmer, and this is my final project for the class of existentialism, in which I will be drawing together the themes um, in existentialism along tying them to the movie uh, My Unaware Report. A little roadmap for this podcast is um, we're going to start off with a movie description um, while tying in the roles of the important characters that we'll also be discussing later on in the podcast. And I'm also going to lay out um, some brief existential themes that I'll be talking about. And then I'm also going to describe a key movie scene um, and why that's important as well. And then afterwards, I'm going to draw connections between the movie and, and, and these existential themes. So to start off with the movie description, this movie is about a future crime fighting system called pre-crime, where the where the set of triplets called pre-crogs, um, these pre-cogs are the result of an experiment where their mother was subjected to drug use in order to alter their development as a fetus to see if they could be born within the extraordinary capabilities. And this extraordinary capability is to foretell um, future murderers in their dream, in their dreams. And attached is this whole pre-crime system. It's this pre-crime unit that takes these dreams and sends a rapid response team after analyzing the dreams to the supposed location to get there and stop the murderer before he commits the crime. And they arrest him and send him to jail. And in charge of this pre-crime unit, this rapid response team, is Chief Anderton. Um, he's in charge of the unit. He's a staunch believer of it. And until his own um, murder is foretold. And he spends the rest of the movie on the run trying to figure out what's going to happen, if he can stop it, who he's going to kill, why he's going to kill them. And then next, we'll have the existential themes I'll be going over. First one is individual choice followed by responsibility in one situation. Uh, the colonizers and the colonized, specifically on the similarities of justifying exploitation and the predetermined destiny. Now we move on to the crucial movie scene. In this crucial movie scene, we have Chief Anderton holding the gun to his supposed victim. In the background, we have the most talented precog, Anna, um, standing back there, and she's continually saying, "Like Chief Anderton, you have a choice. You have a choice." And he ultimately does, and he decides not to kill the person. Right? And what this demonstrates is that even in the hardest of moments, there's still something there within our situation that allows us to make a decision. And as Anderson believes he's about to kill his son's murderer, he makes the decision not to. And as a precog saying, you have a choice, you have a choice, they're right. Um, Anderson does. And he realizes that even though he may not have control over the entirety of his situation, he might not be able to extract himself out of it or run away from the circumstances which put him there. He is in a way in charge of it. He's in charge of what he does in that situation, despite any other external influences. Now we'll be moving on to the connections between the movie and existential themes. Um, my first point is by condemning murderers um, before they commit their crimes, a pre-crime system ultimately denies um, an individual the responsibility of their situation. Pre-crime convicts um, criminals for crimes they have not yet committed, ultimately placing them in a situation of guilt when they have never even done anything really, right? Um, however, through Anderson's character arc, you're able to see that someone is able to maintain the ability to make a decision and remain responsible for it. 
This is similar to Sartre's idea in existentialism, existentialism is a humanism, where he discusses the freedom of man to be what he wills himself to be despite external influences. It's this realization that one exists in a complete state of freedom, which allows them to make any decision at any given moment. And here we have a quote from existentialism as a humanism. Um, that man is, before all else, something that projects itself onto a future and is conscious of doing so. And throughout the movie, we see the fruition of Sartre's idea of utter freedom within one situation. For example, when he discusses his student situation of whether or not the student should take care of his sickly mother at home or go off to war and fight for his country. And ultimately what Sartre ends up telling him is that there is no moral or ethical code that is going to make that decision for him. Right? I think the key word here is for. In this example, Sartre is making it clear that every decision we make is ours. And we either succumb to outer influences or make the decision which conforms to them, or we can realize we can take about our lives in the moment we are in and take it any direction we want. Right? What he's telling a student is that you can look to any moral or ethical code for guidance, but that is not going to make the decision for you. At the end of the day, it's going to be you, the one making the decision. You can take that advice or you can leave it. Right? And this ties directly with the movie, um, specifically throughout Chief Anderson's character arc, and especially in the movie scene when he is aiming the gun at his supposed son's killer. Now, throughout the entire movie, we, he is unsure whether or not he's going to kill this man. And on the one hand, he believes the system is always right, and if, if it is, and it has predicted him to be a killer, he must be a killer. But deep inside, he does not believe this. And as a precog states in that scene, he does have a choice. It is up until this defining moment, we see the realization of freedom in the human condition in this movie. I like to compare this to Sartre's story of the student's dilemma because through Sartre's explanation um, that there is no ethical system which will make the decision for us, leaving us to make, that leaves us to make these decisions. And just like Sartre explains this to his student, Chief Anderson also realizes this when he's in the moment about to make a decision. And the overarching role of the precogs throughout the movie, they kind of take the form of that moral or ethical code, giving advice, like kind of guiding the way society should act or the pre-crime system and who they should arrest, right? But specifically in this scene, Anna the precog maintains Sartre's position. Although it has been predicted that he's going to kill this man and commit this murder, it does not happen until he ultimately makes the decision to do so. The next point we'll be moving on to is that the pre-crime system ultimately acts in bad faith. Now, bad faith is an idea maintained by Sartre in being in nothingness. It is centered around self-deception, specifically in the sense that as humans, we tend to deceive ourselves when it comes to choice. We often deny the responsibility we have when making decisions as a way out of owning where we are or where we end up. In other words, it's a way, of, it's a way out of accepting complete responsibility. And this is similar to the pre-crime system in a sense that society has convinced itself foretold mur murderers are indeed murderers. This is similar to the movie um, because it's easy for society to arrest potential murderers and justify it by using, you know, 
statistics, like lower crime rates. By also claiming that, you know, it's easier to just arrest a murderer, having the evidence that it was going to happen rather than letting him have the opportunity to either make a decision to kill that person or to not kill that person, right? It's, it's kind of like a utilitarian concept almost. And in doing so, they also further justify this pre-crog system, which at any given moment could also deny their own ability to decide against killing someone if their actions of killing someone are foretold. And this next point we will be discussing is the inescapability of one's situation as perpetuated by others. Um, as you know, discussed by Fanon in his book, Black Skin, White Mass. Fanon discusses the inescapability of being black and how this so greatly impacts his situation and people of color's situation. Now, they're never able to live and not be black, and they must do everything in light of their color. And here we have a couple of quotes from chapter five, Black Skin, White Mass. The first one is, when people like me, they tell me that it is in spite of my color. When they dislike me, they point out that it is not because of my color. And then the next quote is, I am the slave not of the idea that others have of me, but of my own appearance. These two quotes almost perfectly encapsulate what Fanon is talking about in his text, Black Skin and White Mask. The color of his skin perpetuates his position in society, and he's only able to go as far as it will let him. Now, I kind of emphasized the it in that sentence and left it a little ambiguous on purpose. When I use the word it in that sentence, it can loosely be referring to either the color of a non-skin or the situation which that puts him in, or whether or not that's the situation society puts him in because of the color of his skin, right? Although now, contemporarily, we are able to see that it's clearly society is the one holding him back because of the color of his skin, not the individual. I think the ambiguity also demonstrates the internal conflict which results from that. Um, it often takes an epiphany after an extended amount of time for people under such severe subjugation that it is not their own attributes holding them back. It is the people who overemphasize this relationship between one's character and one's color that is kind of enforcing this idea of inferiority over them. This is similar to the situation of Chief Anderton in the movie because he experiences this the inescapability of being accused of murder. Um, he experiences in the internal and external conflicts Fanon alludes to in his writings as well. Um, externally, he's on the run from his own department, and he's not able to go out in public guys because eye-scanning technology allows law enforcement to track his position rather quickly. And to avoid this, he has his eyes replaced with a man who's just recently died, and this is representative of the internal change within Anderton as well. The internal conflict with Anderton initially starts off um, as himself denying that he's a murderer. However, develops into himself questioning whether or not he is one. And if the precogs, have, because if the precogs have predicted this, that he is one, he must be one. But he seems to find his comfort in that because he does not necessarily believe he has the ability to deny. To deny. And this is the probably the biggest obstacle for him because he believes he's forced to accept what is to happen because he is so undoubtedly believed in this precog system and works so hard for it. 
He does not see a way out, just as Fanon struggles finding an escape of being in spite of his color. And the next quote we have from Fanon is, I wanted to be a man, nothing but a man. See, this quote is expressive of the end of the journey or realization of Chief Anderton and Fanon. It's expressive of their similar desires to not be required to live in light of what the other constitutes them to be. Fanon desires to be able to live as a man, not as a black man and possibly not even as a white man, but just as a man. Just as Chief Anderton does not want to live on the run or accept that he's a killer, he wants his ability of choice to be acknowledged. And this is also similar to Mimi's idea in the colonizer and the colonized. And once someone is colonized, they cannot be uncolonized. It's impossible to remove the feeling of self in relation to other to the other after having so deeply ingrained um, a system of excuse me, oppression and exploitation onto a group of people. Just as it is difficult for Anderton or the pre-crime unit to remove the idea that a murderer as seen in a dream by the precogs is indeed a murderer. Ultimately, this idea from me that after a certain amount of time, the hierarchy and customs of the colonizer has become a part of the identity of the colonized. This relates to the movie because even after decolonization, those which were colonized still felt the impression, the imp- excuse me, the imprint of oppression and hierarchy. They still felt inferior. This is similar to Chief Anderton's struggle because after the dream, he thinks it is impossible for himself to be a murderer. He has worked faithfully and believes so strongly in the preconscious, and then when it foretells his own future, he is forced to entertain the possibility that it might come to fruition. And now, further into Chief Anderton's character, um, we have this next point that he's unable to live without the external and internal portrayal of being a murderer. And here we'll bring back another point from Fanon. During the movie, we see Anderton struggle with being accused by his own pre-crime unit. We find him asking himself if he's actually a murderer because he has not killed anyone yet, which is similar to Fanon's description of the situation of being black, how one is expected to act in light of that, especially how this results in what seems to be a never-ending identity crisis, as in how am I supposed to will myself to be whatever I want if I'm just going to be whatever that uh, the other is going to see me as? And specifically for Fanon, how is he supposed to be if the other is just always going to see him as a person of color? And as discussed lightly in Fanon's earlier point, Chief Anderton, prior to being foretold um, as a murderer, was a firm believer in the infallibility of the pre-crime system. It's this complete buy-in to this system he runs that fuels his internal conflict, right? He's not able to separate himself from it. He's so convinced himself that the future being foretold is what actually happens, that he believes for a certain amount of time, this is where his struggle comes from, that he is indeed a murderer. It's his deep involvement and belief in an unjust system that makes it so difficult for him to come to the decision and realization that he has a choice and has the ability to make it. Now, specifically in relation to Fanon, um, it somewhat alludes to the ongoing struggle of pe- people of color face and how they've been forced to grow in a limited way with a society who constantly reminds them of that and, and the supposed inferiority, which is 
comes as a result of it. That is where the internal struggle originates. People of color have immense difficulty separating themselves from what is believed of them because for their entire lives, that's what it's what they are told, right? It takes a greater understanding from of the unjust system and hierarchy which they are forced to live in light of before one is able to accept that it is not him or herself that is inferior. It's the position of inferiority that they have been forced to take by the greater society, right? It takes, they have to understand this greater, they have to understand the, how the, how white privilege is built off of a system of exploitation of people of color before they are better able to tell themselves and believe that they are the ones that are not inferior or they're not naturally inferior, right? They've just been forced into a position of inferiority. Next, we have a quote from Kierkegaard. Life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. See, this quote brings an interesting perspective into the film. It's a description by Kierkegaard of how we live in the present. And at the center of this quote is a claim that too much time has been trying to understand the past will result in a misunderstanding of the present. See, one distinct difference is that the past is not the present because we are living in a constant forward motion. We are never truly able to understand the past because what he's saying is that truly to understand the past backwards, the past, one must live backwards. But that is simply impossible. See, trying to remember or better analyze what has happened inherently means there's being less effort um, in living in the present. And in the movie, the precogs seem to bypass recognition of the past and propel straight into the future. Um, Chief Anderson's story allows us to see, even if the future were to be foretold in a way, the present will always be ours. This captures what Kierkegaard is trying to say, in a sense, by no longer being able, being able to be in the past. It's not our moment to influence any longer because we have already influenced it. Life is a never-ending movement forward, and it's us who controls the direction of said movement which expresses the freedom we have in each moment before the next one. And this relates to the future in the way that we are not able to project ourselves into the future in order to shape a moment that is not currently happening. So it would be wrong to do so and try to understand and shape our lives around the future. And next we're going to kind of delve into the situation of exploitation of the precogs and how that is justified by society in the movie. So... The precogs are trapped in a situation of manipulation and exploitation, which is which is justified in ways which is similar to the colonizer use justify justifies the system of exploitation of the colonized, as discussed by Mimi and the colonizers and the colonized. So these similar themes of justifying exploitation um, found in Mimi's writing are also found in the movie. Mimi claims that the colonizer justifies um, this systemic oppression and position by claiming the colonized is inferior. They are in they're in need and that they are better off by helping the colonizer than they were before. And by attributing certain character traits to them, they construct a social position for the colonized um, to remain. 
This is similar to the movie because, one, the precogs are exploited for their abilities, right, by being sedated in order to benefit the pre-crime unit and the rest of society. And at one point, the caretaker of the precogs says to an investigator who's walking around the pre-crime system evaluating it that it's easier to take care of them and keep them in a state of sedation when they're not viewed as humans. Now for humans, I mean, excuse me. Now for starters, this is similar to how the colonizers view the colonized not being equally capable in order to prop up their position of superiority. Now the this is the precog the use of the precogs is also justified by claiming that their sedation is done in their best interest because their dreams cause pain. This is similar to the colonizer claiming that the colonizer is better off in their current position as the colonized in the system of exploitation than they were beforehand because they were not modernized or industrialized. And lastly, societal progress and the improvement of, of the position of the exploiter um, is the ultimate justification. Right for the movie, it's a zero percent murderer rate in a virtually murder-free society. Is premier justification for the exploitation of the precogs, whereas improvement, whereas the improvement of the profit and status of the colonizer, or what they would deem society, is what justifies the position of the colonizer, and also the colonized. The situation of the colony is better off, and the colonized are restricted to do what they are supposed to do. And that wraps up my podcast for today. Um, and today's pod, and I've demonstrated how uh, the movie Minority Report demonstrates existential themes, and how the characters within that movie ref- reflect um, existential themes as well. Thank you.